This podcast is a Radio Mike original production. Head to radiomike.com.au to find out more. G'day guys, Mike here. Welcome to another edition of Mike Talks, where I talk to interesting people doing interesting things and friends of mine and etc. Really happy to have today's guest, Matt Dwyer, on the show. Now, Matt is a podcast producer, uh, and I know him from where I work at Listener, but he is also a actor and also a music producer, particularly in the indie video game world, which is very cool. He also has a band called Echo and Bloom, also very cool. But I've been wanting to get Matt on the show for a little while, and I thought this was the perfect time because he's literally just started and uh, will be appearing for the next two weeks as the lead role in uh, a production of Green Day's American Idiot, the musical. Calling out to idiot America. If you're not familiar, I think in like 2014, 2015, Green Day adapted, well, the, well, I, I guess Broadway adapted Green Day's pinnacle 2004 album, American Idiot, into a stage musical. Um, it's quite an interesting adaptation, which we talk about a lot in this conversation, but yeah, bringing a, a conceptual album uh, to life on stage. There is a bit of ambiguity around the story, but yeah, American Idiot is quite a strong concept album and bringing it to the stage is such a fantastic decision. The music it is amazing. We talk a bit about that in, in, the, uh, in this episode. But yeah, Matt is about to be the lead character of Johnny in that musical, uh, in a production from Theatrical that runs here in Melbourne from the 9th to the 26th of March. Um, there's a ticket link in the description. Highly recommend you go and watch uh, that show because it is such a fun show and Matt is an incredible performer. You can go to theatrical.com.au and you can get tickets there. And yeah, we chat all about the show itself, uh, his philosophy on acting. He got me thinking about acting in a way that I've actually never thought about it before, which was really fascinating and I hope you guys like that as well. Uh, as well he's, as his time as both a podcast producer, a sound engineer, and as a composer for indie video games, as well as our experience gaming in general, which was really, really fun. I hope you enjoy this chat with my good friend, Matt Dwyer. Right, welcome to Mike Talks, the sometimes bonus edition of my podcast that I sometimes do when I sometimes have time, and I do have time, and I'm, oh, I'm so excited to be joined. I'm actually recording this in a professional studio because I actually work with today's guest, Matt Dwyer. Welcome to Mike Talks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have been wanting to talk to you for a while, and because we actually both are busy, like we've been pushing this back, and thank you for your patience around that, but... You were the reason I wanted to talk to you today. You are about to be the starring role in the American Idiot musical, the Broadway musical American Idiot, which is, of course, an adaptation of the seminal album of the same name by Green Day. Can you just tell us a little bit, first of all, about the role and how you got it, what it means to you, and it and etc.? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really stoked to be playing. Uh, the role of Johnny, who's the lead in American Idiot. Um, it was the sort of usual audition process of getting these things. The call out goes out, you audition for it, you then get a call back, you go to the call back, and then usually get told yes or no from there. Mm. Um, I, funny enough, I just come off doing 
Rock of Ages, um, an amateur production of Rock of Ages. And I was really toing and froing about jumping into another uh, show. Not that I thought I was going to get it, but I was just like, if I do, because it's a big time sink uh, and I've got a young family. And my wife actually was the one that made me do it. She's like, it's a perfect role for you. I know the show. You got, you should, you should do it. Cause I actually didn't know the show. Love the album. Didn't know the show. You mean the American idiot show? Not yeah. Rock of Eight. Yeah. yeah okay. Sorry. American wow. idiot. Yeah. So oh, I, cool. I, I didn't really know the show at all. Uh, the American idiot, but I loved, loved the album, loved Green Day. So I was like, yep. Okay, cool. And I actually only went for Johnny, the lead role. And I went in, played some, played a guitar, uh, track and, um, of my choice. And then got a callback where I had to do a scene, um, a scene and uh, another song from the album. Yeah. And then I got told on the spot that I got it, which was pretty cool. Uh, they were like, "Yeah, you you just shine in the audition," and um, we just we thought that's that's our guy. So that was really cool getting it on the spot. Now you guys open what date again? We open. We've got three preview shows from the ninth, tenth, and eleventh. So that's cool. the Thursday ninth, Friday tenth, yep. eleventh. And then the opening, opening night is Saturday night. So, okay. So for people who don't know, I actually think the American Idiot musical is one of the, like, strangest things to ever exist. In 2004, Green Day puts out their album, American Idiot. And then 10-ish years later, they're like, we're turning it into a Broadway musical. You must have been, like, what? 20? No, how old were you when American Idiot came out? Definitely not 20. Oh, four. Yeah. 15? 14? How old am I now? Let's do some math. So, <laughs> so that's like 16, 18 years ago. So yeah, I would have been, yeah, 14, 15, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. And so tell me about like hearing that album for the first time and what it meant to you. Yeah. Cause I grew up uh, going through, I was a punk, like punk kid going through, you know, uh, starting through Blink-182 and Pennywise, Sum 41, yeah. that stage Green Day, then slowly moved through into more hardcore and thrash in my teenage years and okay. I played in hardcore bands my entire life. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> screaming and singing, being aggressive, but yeah, American Idiot, when that came out, uh, I was, I think that might've been like the, one of the first times I'd heard a concept album. Yes. Yeah. I'd never I think it really, was everyone's first yeah, concept I'd album. I'd never really, and I, and I still don't think I actually understood it mm. being probably being 14 or so. Yeah. I kind of didn't really get it until years later when, you know, you sort of have a nostalgia trip and you go back and you listen to it again. Totally. Uh, and, and I did that and, um, sort of got the, the plot of what, uh, Billy Joe was trying to, um, deliver. And so for those who don't know the show of American Idiot, uh, it follows, it's a rock opera, meaning that it's sung through. So then aren't actually any, uh, actual scenes apart from small little excerpts that my character delivers in between the songs mm. it's a sung through musical yeah all of the action all of the emotion everything's done within the songs themselves so the reason why you said it's a strange musical is because it's pretty it's pretty ambiguous with a lot of the intentions behind it and i find that i've, I've watched a couple of different bootlegs of the show and <laughs> i find that sometimes the intentions aren't clear. Yeah. If you don't know the album well enough to be able to translate what's happening in front of you, you might walk away going, that was shit. Mm, Um, The music was cool, but what the fuck was the story? Yeah. I think what's interesting about it is like, first of all, the reason I think American Idiot resonated so hard with like kids and teenagers literally was just because it was called American Idiot, which was like an edgy title, the iconic album artwork. Like, 
I think that just resonated, but it resonated critically with so many like adults and, and music aficionados because of the concept behind the record, which was like Billy Joe Armstrong grappling with like a post 9-11 America, the Bush administration coming to an end, oh, no, no, sort of halfway through the Bush administration and like picking up the pieces as a normal American citizen after 9-11 and after that sort of trauma of being an American and criticizing mm. the politics of America and, and everything like that. And that's all conceptually explored in the music and there's like a loose storyline, but what this musical has done is sort of brought some of the characters in the music and there's there's tracks like Saint Jimmy and What's a Name and it's sort of taken all of those characters and Jesus of Suburbia and made them into a, a, a more, I guess, a story, yeah, but it's yeah. still quite ambiguous. Yeah. So the story with the American Idiot musical is it follows three guys, Johnny, Will, and Tunny, and their need to become something more. They're mm. sort of grappling with that post, you know, post 9-11 yeah. life. Searching for meaning. Searching for meaning. They're in a dead end suburban town. They want to get out. They sort of, they get, get some bus tickets. They get out of the town. But they start their paths become uh, estranged, and they mm. they go their own way. And each of the way they go is a downward spiral for yeah. each of them. It's a pretty dark musical, very fun and challenging to explore those characterizations. Uh, I'd never done anything so heavy before, so that was a really cool thing to sort of sink my teeth into uh, as a performer and trying to find connections with that because the character of Johnny, at least, you know. He there's there's pretty intense sex in there. Yeah, uh, you get a very long makeout scene because I've seen yeah. the the musical before, not with you. Yeah, that yeah. must be fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting one, and and my co lead Romy, she's absolutely fantastic. And the way we sort of blocked it out was, you know, you need to develop that comfortability and trust and, and safety with someone to be able to perform those scenes mm. with truth, but also incredibly safe. You know, so. Um, we, it was funny when we started blocking those scenes, there were closed rehearsals. So it's just us two, the director and the choreographer. And the way we blocked it was literally using placeholders. You know, you don't, you don't just jump straight into kissing someone. You, you still develop that, that trust over the time. And we were just basically stepping through the motions of how we were going to enact these scenes and we didn't put placeholders in. So instead of kissing you'd even start with kind of just touching hands in front of mm, each other like that and then you move on to like get kind of going for it but not actually kissing and then when we say go into the sex scene we uh barely even touching of not even touching i don't think for the first one and we kind of funny enough we had uh that the first thing that they were making us do we were laying under the blanket and literally just wriggling like oh, to simulate like, yeah, yeah. Okay. but not even touching like side by side and just like wiggling like worms. Yeah. And I remember after that uh, rehearsal, cause we'd both gone into it thinking there was going to be quite a bit of physical touch at that rehearsal. Mm. And so we're speaking afterwards and we both sort of went, we, you expected to do more. Right. And we were like, yeah. And we, and then we kind of made this decision together of like, well, let's up it. We'll, we'll up it. And then we did that. And then the next time we rehearsed it, we upped it again we upped it, and then as that sort of um, trust and re relationship developed between us, we it kind of just became part of the job. And so now we're able to sort of do it. It's very professional. It's very fun. It's safe. It's comfortable. And um, it's 
we only really do what's integral to the show. We don't yeah. kind of, you know, we don't sit there like making out and tonguing each other just because. <laughs> like, you know? yeah. It must be like a pretty anxiety inducing thing to like do that in front of an audience as well. Yeah, it 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 started off that way. Um, and I think we were a bit nervous to do it in front of the cast, but that was sort of a good jumping off block is doing something like that in front of the cast and, yeah. and having the cast support you with having to do something like that. Because obviously everyone empathizes that you have to do this in front of a lot of people. Mm. So when we open, we'll see how it goes. But I think we're pretty good. Like we feel pretty good about it. Like it, everything's blocked. So everything we do is the same thing every single time we run it. There's no improv in our scenes. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the exact same timing of the kiss, the exact same length of the kiss, the positioning of our hands, the positioning of our feet and legs. And then when we go onto the bed, same timing every single time. Mm. Same thing we do, same places we touch every single time. So it becomes like mechanical, yep. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. yeah. And so it also incorporates songs from 21st Century Breakdown, which mm-hmm. was the follow-up. What was your, do you, have you heard that album? And do you have a preference of the two? Uh, definitely American Idiot. Yeah. Um, okay. There, yeah, so I think, so the songs from 21st Century Breakdown, I believe, are 21 Guns, yeah. Favourite Son. Know Your Enemy. Know Your Enemy. And Last Night on Earth. And course, Last Night on Earth, which yeah. Which is a beautiful song. Yeah, so Last Night on Earth, I don't want to spoil too much uh, for the show, but you, I mean, you know it. But yeah, yeah Last Night on Earth is um, a really pivotal moment in the show for Johnny and what's her name? The, character's na- the, the character of Johnny's sort of female uh, counterpart is actually called what's her name? And I think that was sort of like in the album as well, like the idea of that was it's a, a woman he once loved that mm. now he just like can't even really remember or doesn't want to remember who she was. So yeah. that's why the song's called What's Her Name? Because yeah, it's th- like, it's a song about being really heartbroken and f- trying to move on from someone you loved. Yeah, I, d- I think, and definitely the way I'm playing it is not that he uh, wants to forget who she is. Mm. It's that he can't remember who she is. And that's because he sort of goes down that drug induced spiral. Yeah. His life is, you know, and that's the way I'm playing it is kind of devastating. Like he had an opportunity for love mm. and he fucked it up. Yeah. You know, he, he ruined it himself. So there's this moment and the way I've been trying to really portray it over the, the course of the show is it's very important for me anyway, to make sure that the audience really likes Johnny at the start. Yeah. He's okay. fun. You know, they, they you're rooting for him to He's get like out of this town. Charismatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, and that friendship between him and Will and Tunny needs to really be shown because you, you need those impactful moments of when they split and se- when they separate and go their own paths, you need that to hit. And then you need the audience to root for Johnny later on as well when he's making terrible decisions. Mm. You need them to say, no, don't, don't do that. You fucking idiot. Like, like he had it going for you, but then you want them to understand that he is, that's what drugs do. Yeah. They, they, they ruin everything. Yeah. That's Sorry, so, I just swearing this. Yeah, you are. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, you're such a body mouth. And stopped like, you the first time. <laughs> hey, that's so interesting. What you just said about, I've never thought about that as an, from an actor's perspective, because you're like an actor, like that you're playing the character in a way that you're like interpreting he, that character's intentions and what you want. Like h- how often are you thinking about how you want the audience to perceive the character like, yeah, all the, in any, in anything? Yeah. All the time. I mean, that's the whole yeah. point of it is, is there's, you work with, you know, a director and you kind of get this idea of where you want the character go to go. And mm. then you add 
truth to it. You don't you don't want to bring yourself into the role, especially something like this. I need to separate myself from Johnny a lot because of all the drugs, the sex, all that. Sh- you know, trying to kill himself. Yeah. Um, I can't have me in that because I'm gonna go home. I go home sad every night. You know, yeah, I need yeah. to de-roll after every rehearsal because it sounds super wanky, but you have to do it. Like. I am very sad after we run the show because it's just like really emotional and I need to, like I look at baby uh, photos of my baby, mm. listen to my favorite music, it, um, it, do all that. Yeah. It's sort of like the Heath Ledger as the Joker thing. Yep. That's kind of what they say sort of happened with him is he got so into that role that yep. it just kind of overtook his entire life. Like yep. that's sort of what they used to say about what yeah, happened. I mean, yeah. and, and Obviously, you know, I'm nowhere near to that extent of him, but I can kind of see with him being such the phenomenal performer he was and is, Mm. um, that that's what he did. He just, he wanted to give it everything and then it took too much from him. And yeah. Yeah. And so I guess in that sense, there's sort of like, as you as an actor kind of interpret your own truth about a character. But how much of that do you think comes from, because I guess like the person writing it has an idea of the truth and Mm. Billy Joe Armstrong has an idea of the truth and the director has an idea of the truth. So like, where does, where do you find that balance of like, I'm doing my interpretation of the character, but what if someone else is like, well, that's not what I think the character is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that hard? Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, I guess it's not hard. It's conversations because there were choices that I was making in the show that I thought was the right thing for me anyway, or for the character. Mm. And the director was like, oh, this is kind of what I felt. And then it's, there were like, there's, you know, in Boulevard of Broken Dreams, there's like a bit of a dialogue before I start singing. And I had this interpretation of it being more uplifting. And he was like, no, no, no. Well, he's kind of saying it, these lines because they're drifting away. It's, it's all fading away. So he's not going to be that happy about it. And I was like, Oh shit, you're right. Actually, mm. that's a really good way to look at it. Mm. And so it's, it's like that. It's, it's, it's like a negotiation in a way. Yeah. And it's good. You know, you don't want to have too many cooks in the kitchen, but having, you know, that's what the director's there for. They've got their vision and you're there to help bring that vision to life. And, um, you need to establish the foundation of what your character is and then apply truth to it that like you don't like i said it's it's that weird balance of um bringing yourself into it but not like the parts of you that are really important yeah yeah, <laughs> to yeah, your sanity. yeah. it's just like you know uh, and and everything within that character like when i get sad and stuff that's all within that character so i'm not you know i cry on the show and i cry on command i'm not thinking of sad things i'm not thinking of like my baby my died. grandma died <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like i don't like that's horrible i would never think that yeah, to cry. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking as the character in the show, interesting. fuck my life sucks. That is so interesting though, because I feel like you just, I don't know, you have to have some like advanced level of like empathy or something to actually have that physiological response as someone else's thought. Yeah. Like I know this is like so much for me to get my, I've never thought of anything to do with this in acting. Yeah. This is like so eye opening for me. And a lot of it actually comes from me listening to the other characters, yeah. uh, you know, part of when I break down within the show, uh, is in 21 guns. Yeah. 
and know your enemy. Incredible song, by the way. Oh, oh they're just yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> and and because uh, I don't actually really sing in that, I'm pretty passed out in that song, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is such a shame because the, especially our cast smash it. Yeah, and and it, and, and it is a such a beautiful arrangement of the original 21 guns, which is such a great song, but this arrangement is like next level. Yeah. I'd almost say it's better than the original. I, th- I think version. it is. Yeah. I do think it is. It's the Broadway so version is better than the original. Yeah. Um, because it is like, and that's a lot, same with a lot of these tracks, not to divert, but same with a lot of these tracks are the originals, but better. That's up for interpretation, but they've got like, you know, strings and they've got, it's yeah, the same tracks. Well, that, that's or, what I was going to say. It's mm. like, like, if you know the song American Idiot, which everyone does, just it's it's that song, but Broadway version. Yeah, bigger. And, yeah, yeah, bigger harmonies, you know, repeating part. Like, it's just, it's, if you love American Idiot, you should definitely listen to the original soundtrack because it's like experiencing that album again in a slightly different way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I really call this musical like a bridging musical. It's... It's a musical for people who don't like musicals, you know, it's, yeah. if you, and if you're into hard rock and punk, you like the show because you like the music. You might, I mean, the storyline, if you know the album, you might get the, the storyline a little bit, but it's a real bridging musical between, yeah, between hard rock, punk and a musical. That kind of like makes me think of this theory I've always had with Green Day because, and again, we're diverting a lot, but I always think that's the sign of a good conversation. Mm. Um, I always thought, because Green Day, of course, in the 90s, copped so much flack for signing to a major label and doing Dookie, Mm. right? They were just like, that's not punk. You guys aren't punk anymore. Fuck you guys. They got banned from, like, a lot of the venues in Oakland. Does Dookie have Basket Case on it? Yes. Yeah. So so Dookie was, like, the the original breakthrough album of Green Day. Yeah. Then they went, then they were, like, you know, riding the success of that for 10 years, and they were kind of, like, becoming more irrelevant. Then they put out American Idiot and it exploded all over again, right? But I always thought, like, they did that. They got accused of not being punk. And then they just kind of were like, well, fuck that. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing anyway. Did it. Put out American Idiot. Again, super mainstream. That's and what punk is, though. Not fucking caring what anyone says anyway. That And that's the point I'm going to get to. I always said... Making a Broadway musical about your punk rock opera concept album is literally the most punk thing they could have done. Yeah. Because it's literally them saying, we just don't care about it anymore. We're making a Broadway musical because we think it's fucking awesome. Yeah, do what you want. Yeah. And there's this, I I don't know, I just think it's such an important thing to remember about them is they're always pushing a lot of boundaries in the punk scene. But yeah, we were talking about... um, acting and like being in character and stuff. What, like, how do you feel when you're on stage in character? Do you feel any of that? Or like, do you feel like you're gone? Yeah. A little bit of both. So I think I try not to be me when mm. I'm on stage because, you know, there are just thing, things that I wouldn't do on, mm. on stage. Yeah. So I try not to. <laughs> don't, don't they, am I remembering wrong or do they actually have people like the dancers, like, tying stuff around their arms and injecting shit and stuff. Or am I making that no, up? No, well, I, I inject heroin. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I think myself I was, and what's the name, the character, yes. inject heroin, yeah. I think I was actually thinking of um Summer Heights High and Mr. G the musical, <laughs> where he's like, and these are like the girls rapping, the, yeah. they're injecting the heroin. Ecstasy. Into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I was conflating them. Sorry. No, no, it's, it's, it's a, good memories. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it is, it's just being that guy and being him on stage. And I, cause I think if there's a, there's me on stage, people see that. Like, you know, if you're second guessing yourself because you're thinking of what people might think of you, mm. you know, people yeah. see that. True. Um, you let your guard down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, that's actually something I really struggle with as a performer is, is dropping my, dropping that guard. Um, and I can feel it even in this performance, uh, you know, 70% of it I'm gone, but then there's like a 30% where my eyes will dart around to see who's looking or what, what yeah. people are thinking. And then you're worried like mum's in the audience just yeah. waving. Hey yeah. mum. Hey, mom, I should, like, hey, the, hey, kid, the kid at the school concert who sees mum, they're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, my mum's coming uh, my family from Perth are all flying over to come see me which awesome. is absolutely beautiful of them yeah. and uh, yeah mum mum see how you go with uh, watching me get naked on stage have sex inject heroin inject try to kill myself <laughs> the, it's like the everything a mum wouldn't want to see their child do yeah. she has to watch you do yeah, it yeah exactly right so hopefully you know hopefully she feels something <laughs> are there any actors that you like that, that inspire you like just I don't know, like anyone that you look at and you're like, yeah, that that's someone that I think is just an amazing actor. Yeah, I, you know, a, a lot of the popular ones, um, Christian Bale, yeah, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, like mm. the, just like the act, um, Daniel Day Lewis, like the actors that like throw themselves into a role. I, I think that you know when there's an actor that can just do a hundred movies and in every movie there's someone different. Yeah, and you're not like, oh, that's Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah, like even though Depp's an amazing actor, like. Um, there was a movie Johnny Depp was in that he was playing a character that was suspiciously like Jack Sparrow. I think it was like the Lone Ranger. Oh, he got shredded for that. Because yeah, but... <laughs> I think it was supposed to be an American Indian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. I w- when you were saying, yeah, you know, an actor who you can see in like 200 movies and they're just a different person. I was going to be like, you know, like Adam Sandler, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Little Nicky over and over yeah. again. <laughs> I swear to God, every Adam Sandler movie is just literally... Adam Sandler in a movie. Yeah, like, although the new one, like... Um, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems. And I, I haven't seen... Um, the, the Safety brothers are amazing with, like, Uncut Gems. And um, uh, oh, there's a basketball one. What's the... Oh, his, oh. his newer one. He's got it where he's a basketball coach. Oh, Apparently, I've heard of it. I haven't seen that. It. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Why, have you seen... Oh, why yeah. is Adam Sandler having this, like, now... At age like sixty, he's like showing everyone that he's actually a good actor. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> like you've done like eighty shit movies, yeah. and now you're like, I'll do one good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's redemption, <laughs> right? It's his redemption arc. <laughs> Finally, he's like read all the reviews of his movies. Like I am shit. I have to show them. Although I don't know. Back in the day, like I think being an adult, you watch uh, Billy Madison and Little Nicky, and you're like. Ugh. Yeah, cringe. But being a kid, those were hilarious. Big Daddy was like Big Daddy is so good. The perfect balance of like it was, it was, it was rude for a kid, Mm. and you loved it. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, this is so rude, and it's funny, and yeah, yeah. That's what Little Nicky was to me. I think when I was younger, watching that, is that the one with the big tits on his head? Is that where his parents are? Santa Claus? No, no, no. That's uh, the devil. The and, devil and, and an God and an angel. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And then also, Click. Click was good. The one with, yeah, the, with the, the remote. remote. He yeah. can stop time. I'm gonna watch like maybe half of that. Man, I love how I asked you what your favorite, who your favorite actor was, and now we're talking about Adam, Adam Sandler's <laughs> filmography. Mike talks. We'll be right back. 
Hey guys, just a quick interruption. I really hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you would like to hear more conversations, they are all on this feed, the 20th Century Boy podcast. And I have had many, many conversations with various people, including Broden Kelly from Auntie Donna. What a legend. I've had Ryan Shelton, writer and uh, producer, best known for some of his work in Hamish and Andy and uh, the Imperfects podcast. I've had comedians like Luke Kidgel, who is currently doing a world tour, and Ruben Solo, who's about to do his next show in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. They are all on this feed. Just type in Mike Talks on this feed or scroll down and you will find them all. There are some great episodes there and would love for you guys to check out some more or just check out the main podcast, 20th Century Boy. And while you're listening, if you could please, I know even if you're just listening to this because you're one of Matt's friends and he shared it on his Instagram, it would mean the world to me if you A, listen to another episode, but B, rate this podcast five stars. I know that's a big ask, but if you're just listening to this one, I would really appreciate it if you could just give this podcast a five-star rating and be like, yep, you know what? It's a bloody good podcast. So, love for you to do that. Anyway, I won't keep you any longer. Here's good old Matt Dwyer. Let's get back into it. I don't know. Is there anything else, like, I guess, conceptually that you think, like, you want to because I just feel like I could talk about American Idiot and its importance to music mm. and pop culture for so long. Like, is there anything about it that you want to get, like, that you'd want to tell people? Yeah, a lot. Like, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to talk about, especially being in the production and especially this production itself. But one really cool thing that we're doing in this, and we've actually made a couple of edits um, linguistically for, uh, like, words... We're not. We're changing a few words uh, within the the lyrics that are. Um, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah, the, yeah. A few there's a few in American Idiot. Like uh, we're it, keeping. We're keeping those. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we're keeping. We're keeping any words that are. In the the intent behind it is empowerment. Okay. Um. There's a few ableist lines in um Jesus of Suburbia towards the back end. Oh uh, yeah. In, um, What's the what's the actual track? Uh, Dearly beloved. Yep. Ah, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Dearly beloved. Yeah, yeah. I get. So you. there's a few few words that we've chopped out there. Um, but one really cool thing that we're doing, which I think a few other productions have struggled to do, is really show the female empowerment mm-hmm. side of it. The story really centers around the three main dudes. Yeah. Um, and the productions that I've seen kind of push the female counterparts of those roles to the side a little bit. Whereas in our production, we're really hamming what's her name. Like, and especially Romy, um, who plays her is exceptional. And it's like, use it. You know what I mean? You've got these three, um, there's Tash, Harmony and, uh, Romy who play the three female co-leads and they're all incredible performers. So it's, it's like, well, use them. You know, yeah. and so we've made a few decisions in the show uh, where some of the dialogue and lyrics, some of the lyrics, because there's no dialogue, <laughs> um, are just the female cast members singing it. Yeah. Um, and the way it's, everyone's blocked and positioned. So, like, showcasing those people who have talent, but they're not given that opportunity in the musical as well, it stands, I guess. It's less about showcasing their talent and more about showcasing the character and the writing and yeah, stuff, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just lucky that these these actors have got a lot of talent to do mm, it. Mm. Um, it's just, yeah, it just always felt like 
the characters were sort of nothingness. There's like this nothingness to them. There wasn't a lot of weight, whereas especially, you know, I can only speak for my uh, character and his journey. Like What's-Her-Name was the pinnacle of everything. Between St. Jimmy and What's-Her-Name, you know, the whole point of his arc is Rage and Love. I'm the son of Rage and Love. Yeah. Rage and Love. you got St. Jimmy, you got What's-Her-Name, Love, Rage. Those two sort of have this intertwining yeah. narrative and over, those, around Johnny. Those themes circle a few times in the lyrics of multiple songs. Yeah. You hear about Rage and Love a lot. Yeah. And so m- making those... They're the pinnacle of his arc, and so it's really important to ham uh, the character of what's name and the character of Jimmy a lot within the show. So, because you kind of you're sitting there and you you're supposed to think, are these people real? Yeah, <laughs> are, they, are they just figments of imagine of his imagination? And I mean, Saint Jimmy is it's it's you know it's in the synopsis, uh, it's his alter ego. Yeah, that he develops. From being it's a lonely, bit, bit of a Mister Jekyll and Doctor Hyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of and vibe. and Will, who plays um, Saint Jimmy, is really fun to play with. He's he's very psychotic. <laughs> well, and th- and that role, like Billy Joe Armstrong, played it for mm. a while on Broadway. Yeah, and, and then so did Davy Havoc, who's from AFI. AFI. He played Saint Jimmy for a bit. Yeah, which I just think is awesome as well. Yeah, it's it's a real chaotic role, and because Saint Jimmy is very much like this hedonist sort of just go and do it like you know yolo go and shoot up go and just seek maximum pleasure yeah which kind of goes back to the ethos of the show where they're at Mm. the start they're like you know post 9-11 it's like there must be something more out there for us and then this saint jimmy character kind of takes him into this this underworld of drugs and sex and just experiencing as much pleasure as you possibly exactly can. Exactly right, yeah. Which, and it, yeah. our St. Jimmy has gone a different direction in the costuming okay. and the makeup and oh, everything. So okay. uh, less punk. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So you, I mean, you, you'll come, you'll see. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a very cool, interesting new direction for St. Jimmy, which I think works. Um, yeah. And I mean, Will pulls it off. He's really good. In the, when you say you make some changes to the show, does that mean like, do you have to get permission to do that? Like from Green Day or something? Yeah. So when, when I say make changes, they're very small changes. You're not allowed to make changes to the show. Yeah. Um, any, any at all, really, uh, you can kind of adapt it in the sense of like dropping, um, harmonies and, and sort of playing with the music like that. You can't chop out sections of the songs. You can't decide to change things. Yeah. 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 Um, Can't add a new character. You can't add a new character. Just Dave from down the road. He has a few lines. Although he's a very good performer. (laughs) Um, it's, uh, yeah. So you, you, there's a little bit of sway with how much you can change something, but you can't really change, um, much. Anything impactful usually stays. So you can character direction for sure. Mm. You got, you like, the way you choose and the choices you make. Yep, absolutely. But anything lyrically, musically, a lot of that has to stay pretty tight. And that's kind of what you were saying before about like your interpretation of a character and the truth of a character and stuff. Like yeah. that's all really subjective anyway. So yep. they can't really, they can't really yeah. bound you to like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and also Billy Joe's not going to come see the show. So, <laughs> well, that's a shame. He probably should. Yeah. I'll I'm shoot sure. him a DM. And see. He's like, no, nah, I did the show, man. I lived the show. Yeah. I didn't need to see it. Um, can we pivot a little bit yeah. to, cause you're a very multi-talented guy as well. And you've done like, you, I just saw you, you've done a lot of work as like a sound designer for indie video games as well. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about like your experience in that industry? Yeah. So 
Uh, I'm an audio guy by trade, I guess. Mm. Uh, sound designer, music composer, character designer with voices, done all that. And yeah, I've been doing it for a decade now or so, sort of on the side. It's always been like a side hustle. And I think I've kept it that way so that the enjoyment stays there. You know, when like, I mean, you've probably felt the pressure of something you're really passionate about becoming uh, monetized or, you know, and then that passion becomes stress yeah. and a chore. So yeah, I was really feeling it towards the back of last year, actually. I was working on, you know, I had my full-time job and then a baby and then uh, a show, a freaking musical that I was doing. But then also I was working on two video games on the side <laughs> and it just, yeah. it piled up and it crushed and me towards the back of last year. can get really burnt out from doing that. hundred percent. But it's but, also like this passion of just wanting to do stuff. Like yeah. you, you want to do it, but you realize it's not physically possible to do everything. Yeah. The time in the day is just not enough yeah. to, to get everything done that you want. But yeah, I, I've been working in the games industry for about 10 years now, sort of on and off working on projects here and there, mostly indie video games, some really good crackers though, uh, that have done one, you know, worked on one that's won a BAFTA for audio, which is pretty cool. cool. That was called Florence. Um, yeah. I think one of the favorite, my favorite games that I've worked on is one called Rumu. Okay. It's about a little sentient robot vacuum that only really knows love. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's this phenomenal story. About, yeah, you sort of, you this you play this robot vacuum and you wake up in this AI house. Yeah. And there's a sort of mess that you have to clean up, but there's no one around that's made any mess. And you slowly start to unlock new areas of the house and you find out this pretty dark story as to where the people are and why the AI is blocking you from entering certain rooms. That is such an interesting use of like gaming and storytelling. And, yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. awesome. I think, that, I think that, that one won best story or best narrative um, at the Game Awards when it came out in like 2017 or 2018. And when you say you, like by the end of last year, you were really like, you were taking on so much stuff that it was becoming really hard. Like, what, what, did did you, did you burn out? And like, what was your experience with it? Yeah. hundred percent I burnt out. Yeah. Um, I, and, and I was still sort of feeling it into this new year, which is why when I was talking about finishing that or, um, other show, Rock of Ages and jumping into American Idiot, it was all, that was all sort of entwined in it because I'm a, I'm a yes man. Yeah. Hey, I've got this job for you. Do you want to do it? Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. And then I'll figure it out later. Yeah. That's me as well. Yeah. Well, it, I'm trying to work on it. Yeah. I, me too. Yeah. Me too. I think it took, so I think it took about seven or eight months of having a baby mm. for me to realize, mate, I can't do this anymore. Like, you know, cause I know, you know, I didn't, didn't neglect the baby. The baby was just shoved into all that thing and that's where all my that's where all my energy and love went and then everything else was getting pushed back i had no energy or time for everything else so the yeah the the idea of just saying yes to everything was i mean i just said no to a feature film um we're doing the sound mix on a feature film two days ago because uh they sort of they wanted a quick turnaround and i was doing this show um and I would realize that my only time off that I would have with my family would be working again on something else. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just said, I'm so sorry. I can't do pretty huge opportunity. And I, I was kicking myself for saying no, but. But, but it's also like, sometimes you, you just genuinely are like, and maybe it's just the, the vibe of our generation where you're like, Oh, I feel like I have to 
I have to, I can't be, I can't have downtime because mm. downtime feels like wasted time and unproductive time. And I don't know. I mean, it's a deeper philosophical conversation, but I genuinely think it's because I think our generation is much less religious and like we have, we have so much more of a grounded understanding of death and stuff. And I think yeah. then we actually just feel like we're always wasting time if we're not doing something. Oh, dude, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, that's like a perfect segue into like downtime and playing games, which we both love to do. Yeah. Like that's my downtime is playing video games yeah. is my rest and relaxation. My wife likes to play, but she likes to read books as well. Yeah. Some people like to read books. Some people like to do like exercise. I like to play video games. Like, yeah. And what are you playing at the moment? Hogwarts. Yeah, I, mean, been, yeah, I am. Revelio, Revelio, Revelio. Yeah, and we and the, this is like the core of our friendship began just because we started in the hallways at work talking about video yeah. games that we've been playing, being like, "You got to play this, man." Yeah, yeah. So you, I mean, and you're a really avid gamer. Yeah, I try. I mean, when I have time, I don't have a lot of time these days, but yeah. that's why, like, yeah, if I can get, I mean, luckily my wife likes to go to bed early, so she can go to bed, and then I can stay up for another couple of hours playing a game. Yeah. Um, before I, I, I call it, but, um, the one thing that I've really shifted to is just offline single player games. Yeah. Being able to pause it is a dream, you know, yeah. no, no longer like being stuck on a multiplayer online competitive game where you're like, Oh, can't pause. Can't I can't leave. pause. I'm yeah. locked in for the next 40 minutes yeah. playing this game. But the other thing I think with that, that was getting me for a while. And I wonder if you've had it as well is like, e even that fear of like, wasting time or running out of time, right? That, that, you know, leads to burnout and everything. But then I would take that into hobbies as well, where I'm like, instead of just playing a game, I would almost like feel like I had to do everything in the game. And then I'd actually like, I'd try to like 100% everything. Mm. Cause I'm like, well, like I have to get the full experience of this game. Right. And then it would end up becoming unenjoyable because I'm not actually playing the game for fun anymore. Yeah. I'm actually just trying to, tick everything off a list. Mm -hmm. I 100% have... agree. I do the same thing and I'm doing that with Hogwarts at the moment. Me where too, yeah. I go off and do all the side quests and then I realize like I've spent maybe an hour to two hours doing nothing. Yeah. I haven't progressed through <laughs> <Yes>. the story. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I've played fucking 80 hours of this game and I'm still like halfway through the story because I just walk around and yep. do shit. Yep, I agree. And it's, and th then I make decisions like I did the same with God of War where yeah. I was, you know, got sort of halfway to three quarters, um, through the main arc and had spent many, many hours playing it. And I just got to a point where I was like, I just need to finish it. Like, I love, I love the story. I love the story so much. Why am I going off doing these yeah. like random shit that like, I don't actually fully care about. I'm just trying to tick a box. Like you said, yeah. hit that platinum trophy. Yeah. Um, that's it. Like they, they reward it because they give you like trophies and yeah. you're like, I have to get all the trophies. Mm. If you're like someone, I don't know, maybe it's like an OCD tendency or something yep. where you're just like, I have to get all the trophies now. But it's like, I just realized I wasn't even having fun anymore. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's all linked to this general anxiety of, yeah, wasting time and burnout and yeah. just exploring that. Do you know one thing that I've done where I've pushed ego and pride aside yeah. is I've um, gone down a difficulty level oh. on my games, right? Because yeah. I usually play at the hardest, as hard as it, whatever it gives me, that's what I'm playing at. Yeah, me too. Um, and Because it's like a pride thing. You're like, yeah. I'm, I'm good at games. I'm yeah. not playing on normal. I'm yeah. playing on hard. I was doing the same. You know, I was on God of War mode on God of War. And it 
came to a point where he like, you'd spend like an hour on one boss. Yeah. And the only reason they're <laughs> difficult is because they're a bullet sponge, yeah. you know, and, and they've just got a million, you know. Their attacks do three times as yeah, much yeah. damage so and stuff. They're not any more difficult. You've just got to be 40 times more patient with how many times you can attack them before yeah. they kill you in one Dude, hit. 100%. And so I was like, I was, I remember just saying to my wife, like, why the fuck do I care about having to beat this on the most difficult level yeah. when what I actually care about the, this game in particular is the story. Yeah. Like I should just kick it down, still make it difficult. Like, you know, either normal or, um, maybe one up from normal. Yeah. If they've got five. Um, but if something is taking too long because the difficulty level is just a billion more health and a billion more damage they do to me, yeah. then no, I'm just going to kick it down a notch, have a little bit of a challenge, but enjoy myself more because I'm getting more done in that time space that I have to play games. Like yes. I said before, I don't have as much time anymore. I've got a baby. I've got like all this shit yeah. that I have to do. And the, and it's like, yeah, if you spend the whole two hours you've got just trying to beat one boss and like mm. dying like 50 times, yeah. you're just like, well, I've just wasted. I haven't made any progress. Yeah, well, and I that always, is wasted time. Yeah. I always make the joke, which is ripped from South Park, like where I finally beat a boss or finally do something that I've been working on yeah. for an hour. And I like, I'm like, yes, you know, and Taylor, my partner's like, oh, cool. So what's now? And like, well, now I can play the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, um, we'll, we'll do the last, um, the last question, which kind of goes for like another five minutes or so, but I think you'll be really good at it. I'm really interested. So I always end by going, what is one movie, uh, album, book, and video game that you think everyone should experience in their life. So it doesn't necessarily have to be like a favorite. It's just like, I just think everyone needs to hear this album or watch this movie or play this game. Okay. <clears throat> uh, well, I think of the other ones, I will go album. So one of my favorite albums is actually four EPs. Oh, and yeah. it's about, do you know Thrice? Yeah. Yeah. So Thrice did um, a collection of EPs called the Alchemy Index. Okay which is still to this day some of the best production in uh, in music that I've heard. So they've got Earth, Fire, Wind, Water. Oh, yes. And in each of those um, EPs, those seven-track EPs, they're all mixed and written differently. So okay. Fire is heavy, screaming, really distorted. Earth is all acoustic. Um, wind is like soaring sort of reverby guitars. And Water is digital, like chorusy. It is like... I love that as a concept. It I is... That's what I mean. The best concept, yeah, like um, collection I've ever heard. I always love when bands like marry the, like the art and the imagery, like the actual physical, like mm. album cover or whatever, or the title, yeah. and and it's reflected in the music, and everything kind of links up, and yeah. there's like a, just such a strong concept around it. Which I think American Idiot is is that yeah. as well. Like yep. it's the the hand, the heart, the heart shaped hand grenade bleeding onto the guy's hand. And yeah, all of that imagery just. Goes hand in hand. That's I'm definitely going to check out those EPs. Oh, that sounds so good. It's a regular listen of mine, and they came out yeah like 15 years ago. Or so wow, that's um, such a good idea. Very Avatar: The Last Airbender as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, heavier, but yeah. uh, <laughs> just I just mean the elements. Yeah, yeah, the four elements. I mean, we I could. That's a whole other episode. Just talking <laughs> yeah. about Avatar, one of my favorites. But um, uh, book. A book that I actually recently read, I'd say in the last two or three years, was this horror thriller called The Last House on Needless Street. Okay. Holy guacamole. That was written so freaking good. It's basically a 
try to spoiler free synopsis it, but it's basically about, um, it follows three characters. It follows, um, a girl whose younger sister is, was kidnapped or, or taken when they were really young. And she's sort of, um, trying to find out who took her and where they've taken her. Um, she thinks she's cracked onto who it is. It's written, uh, and then another character's the perspective from is the guy that she thinks is um, has taken her, uh, who's a real big weirdo. Mm. And then it's written also from his cat. Oh. And is this a Japanese book? No, by no, no, okay. no, no, no. It I is... don't know why a lot of Japanese authors seem to write from the perspective of a cat. I've just noticed it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It's a book that takes like a hot second to get used to the writing style because when it's written from a cat, it's very meowy. Yeah. Um, but the payoff is I've not, I've not read a book where I was up until two or 3 a.m. most nights. Yeah. Page turner. It was beautiful. I mean, yeah. that in June was pretty good too. <clears throat> awesome. Um, yeah, it's very rare you find a book where you like just want to keep reading, but you actually end up falling asleep on the book because you're just like, I, I couldn't stop reading, but my mm. body gave out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That was one of them actually. Yeah. yeah. I'd never fallen asleep reading a book, but last house I, I did. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy, crazy. When I think about that. Um, <clears throat> movie. Yeah. I'll skip movie cause there's so bloody many. Okay. Video game. And a game. Like what's the pinnacle of gaming that oh. everyone should play? Do you know, controversially, I actually... Like Secret of Evermore more than Secret of oh. Mana. Oh, yeah, yeah, did you yeah. Play Secret of Mana? I did on Super Nintendo. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. It's almost like 2D Kingdom Hearts kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Secret of Evermore was a game. <clears throat> Actually, Kingdom Hearts is probably at the top there. That's I've a, got a Kingdom such Hearts a good game. Um, what do you? Yeah, I got a Heartless. Oh my um, God, I've never. Have I? Did I know about this? I don't know. Well, I'm not really shirtless that often. In the... Matt's now taking his shirt <laughs> off. Uh, yeah, he's got a Heartless from Kingdom Hearts. That's awesome, man. Um, I got that a long time ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Secret of Evermore would be up there. Is um, that also on Super Nintendo? Yeah, that's that came out around the same time as Mana. Okay. And it's less, it's more, it's about like a young guy that ends up finding like a time machine and travels back in time. Okay. Um, it's exactly the same battle style and everything as Mana, but um, I just felt like the story and the monsters and stuff are way better. Okay. And you have you got like cute little pet dog. Okay, cool. That changes every time you go back in time. So when you go back to prehistoric, it's like a big wolf. Oh. And then you go to sort of Egyptian times and it's like a greyhoundy thing. And then you go to the future and it's a toaster. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so good. Okay. I've, um, I don't think I've heard of Secrets of Evermore. So yeah, yeah, that's. We'll check it out. One of the, one of the best games I've ever played. Cool. Um, that and, uh, and, and then a recent one actually, you know, cause it might be hard to track that one down. Um, Tunic. I've told, I told you about oh, Tunic. Yeah. I still need to play it. Tunic was one of those games, man. I'm all about indie games too. Cause indie games give, um, creative licensing to very, very smart people. And so much just more creative freedom. Yeah. You notice like open world games, like they're all the same, the same framework. Thing. Yep. Exact same like, thing. And even Hogwarts Legacy, yep. as much as I love it, I'm still just like, ah, oh, this is, it's just an, one of the normal open mm. world games. You go around, there's a bunch of stuff on the map you yep. can walk to and do. It's fun. Mm. But it's like, then you look at a game like Tunic or one we were both talking about, Crosscode. Oh, and it's just like, you would never see this from a AAA yeah. developer yeah. ever. Yeah. Actually, Sleeper Hit, I Chained Echoes on the Switch, which is like a JRP game, a JRPG game made by like one guy. Oh, yeah. Came Ch out. Chained Echoes. Chained Echoes came out 
yeah, like a couple of months ago. Okay. Um, that is one of the biggest sleeper hits RPGs I've ever played. Cool. Like cross code level, you know, like the sort of wow factor of the things that happen within cross code. Yeah. Same sort of thing. Like it's, I'm probably hour 50 into it. Wow. Um, and still new content jumping out at me. Like okay. at later at late game stuff where I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, beautiful, beautiful game. And then movie. There's so many movies. There's like 50 movies. You should have, pre, you should have pre-warned me. <laughs> I should have. No, little Nicky. <laughs> A little, no, no, no. Do you know what? Like one of my favorite movies is this Australian movie called Hercules Returns. I don't know oh, if you've seen it. No. It's, it's this Australian movie. And I watched it recently and it doesn't really hold up. <laughs> The comedy, it it does it does for me, but I tried to make my wife watch it and she was like, you know, when people sort of nose laugh at things. Yeah, like <laughs> just the like exhale. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's about this guy who quits his job, buys a cinema, um, and tries to get this old cinema up and running. And he has this old movie Hercules playing like one like an early, early version of Hercules, and finds out on the night that it's an Italian. Oh, okay. So he and his colleagues have to dub it live. And why is this familiar? And they dub it live and it's just ridiculous. Like when did this come out? A long time ago. So now. it's not like I thought it was like one of those movies that like Glenn Robbins and Mick Malloy were in, like no. Cra- Cracker Cra- Cracker Jack, Jack and yeah. Boy Town and Earlier than that. I okay. Think it, yeah. yeah, early nineties, I think this one. Yeah, came interesting. Out. Okay, cool. Yeah. But that that's like I don't know. If I'm gonna try and if you like, check like it silly, out. silly movies. Yeah. Um it's good. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, I hope it holds up for people. I'm going to watch it and talk it about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love for you to see it and let me know how you feel. Um, plug the dates for American Idiot again and where you can get ticks. I will be there, everyone, and I can't wait. Yeah, so uh, it's playing in Melbourne throughout March 9th to the 26th of March uh, at Chapel of Chapel in Pran, which is a beautiful venue. Um, mm-hmm. And you can get tickets at theatrical.com.au. That's kind of the easiest way I say to get them. Like you can get them like on the chapel website, but it's like chapel.com forward slash blah, blah, blah. Yeah, slash yeah, blah, yeah. Blah. yeah. So easy to remember, theatrical.com.au. And there's a big, big sign in the first thing you get. Go and grab tickets if you're in Melbourne. If you're not in Melbourne, fly down and get tickets. But seriously, it's a, it is a really good show. Matt's awesome. Um, I can't wait. I'm coming with um, Keelan, friend of this show, and um, we're really excited. So, dude... Thanks so much. It's been good to finally do something content-wise together, but this was awesome fun. It was great fun. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. This podcast was a Radio Mike original production. Head to radiomike.com.au to check out all our other content. Stay up to date at radio.mike on Instagram and get in touch. Radiomikepod at gmail.com.